my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Joe Chalfant, uh, the brand-new president of Lone Conservative. Um, well, we covered a lot. It was a good time talking to Joe. We covered a lot. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, guys, before I get to Joe, I want to say hi to our friends over at Bulk Munitions. Ladies and gentlemen, I know... The, the shelves at your local gun shop are out of ammo. I know you have uh, all these brand new guns. We see the statistics. I think April, uh, something like 2.1 million Americans bought a new gun. You're probably one of them. And you can't find ammo anywhere. And that's where my buddies, uh, Bulk Munitions, come in. They have whatever you need in stock, ready to ship fast. Whether you're looking for 9, uh, 40, 45, 357, 223, 556, 12 gauge, 22, whatever you need, they have in stock. All orders ship within two business days. Um, and these guys are great. I love working with companies uh, that share our values, and Bulk Munitions absolutely does. Uh, they want their work to serve a higher purpose, so they tithe uh, 10% of their profits to Christian-based and Second Amendment-supporting charities. They call it their ammo tithe. And if all that isn't great enough, they're offering this audience a limited-time offer. The first 25 of you guys to use the promo code TNGP21 at checkout will get a brand-new, absolutely free Black Hawk magazine case, either a soft-sided case for pistol mags or a hard-sided case for AR-15 mags. You get that on the house with any order over 100 bucks. You can see the special offer right now at bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. That is bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. Use that promo code TNGP21 and check out. And guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to support the show monthly, you can over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Joe Chalfant. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Joe Chalfant, the new president of Lone Conservative. Joe, how you been, man? I've been well. How have you been? I've been great. I've been great, brother. So uh, you, you are the new, the newly minted president of, uh, of Lone Conservative. You're taking over for, for Cassie Dillon. Are you planning on pulling a Joe Biden and just doing the opposite of whatever Cassie was doing, regardless of uh, you know, the potential catastrophic ramifications? Oh, certainly not. Cassie has uh, really laid the foundation for a great organization, and uh, you know she's going to be staying on and, and advising on a lot of stuff that we're doing. So uh, I'm really excited for for the future, and I'm really excited to continue the stuff that she's been doing. Absolutely, man. So I know I know you can't get into a lot of it in in detail, but uh, for those who don't know, Lone Conservative is a great resource for college conservatives and college age. Uh, conservatives, a demographic that can obviously use all the help they can get. Uh, what are some of the things you guys are planning for the rest of this year? Uh, so the, the big thing that we're going to be launching for the next semester is uh, the Wolf Pack. It's going to be a national grassroots effort to get students at every campus uh, to, to join Lone Conservative and to expand our reach. Uh, you know, the left has got a, a tremendous grip on the media. and A lot of that has to do with the university system and a great way to diminish their role in our everyday lives and, and the media that we consume. It's to get more conservatives and to get more people involved and trained and into the media after they graduate. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Um, you know, I don't know what percentage of of the media is conservative currently. Um, 
five percent less, two percent, something like that. So you guys uh, can well, start you know, hacking away at that number. Uh, places like CNN and MSNBC, uh, you might have one or two people that have sort of like the Daily Caller, for instance, and they can go move on to there. Um, but in general, at the Washington Post, what you've got Jennifer Rubin. Um, at the, the New York Times, you've got Ross Douthat. Jennifer Rubin doesn't even count as conservative, so I don't know uh, where they're they're trying to get their right leaning you know, view from. They don't have one. Uh, the Atlantic, probably the the best leftist outlet to read if you want to go get some uh, good leftist intellectual pieces. Uh, they fired Kevin Williamson after like a day because of his uh, his views. So. There's yeah. really no one. I don't think Kevin outside. was employed for 24 hours. I think it was the same day, actually. Yeah, I. There was a lot of backlash, and Kevin Williamson, for the people who don't know, uh, is not like a firebrandish conservative. He's really just a mainstream guy with with conservative views. Uh, you you don't really have people that that can get into those sort of jobs if you don't toe the progressive line. And I think that you're seeing that really with Taylor Lorenz, who's a, a person, uh, Mark Anderson. She you know, wrote a, a false story about him, claiming that he used a racial slur uh, in a clubhouse room. That happened earlier this year. And the New York Times doesn't do anything about it. They don't hold her accountable for what she's, she's done because she's such a progressive icon for really destroying the uh, the social media movement for conservatives because she's just willing to do what they want, willing to say what they want. Barry Weiss, a perfect example of a person who was, you know, basically thrown out of her job. She had to quit because of how toxic the environment was. You know, they had Barry Weiss is far left for people that don't know. I mean, she's not. Yeah. People think because she she was fired by The New York Times, she's some kind of conservative. No, she's a, a, a hard line leftist. Uh, who just wasn't as as woke as 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 the uh, the newsroom wanted apparently. So no, it, it's you're you're exactly right. It's not a a good time for conservatives in the media, and uh, to to sort of build up our own institutions to to combat this, we have to do something that the left isn't doing. We have to sort of train our conservatives. Whenever they, the moment they step onto a college campus, we have to start training them to write. We have to get them writing at their their school outlets. We have to get them writing at places like Lone Conservative. We have to get them writing at our you know allied outlets like the Daily Caller, like the Daily Wire. Uh, we have to get them experience and bylines in a way that the left can't. Because let's face it, if uh, a newsroom is hiring somebody and a uh, a person coming out of journalism school at Columbia or at Yale or at Harvard wants a job. Those new rooms, newsrooms are going to be happy to give it to them because their allies over at these, uh, you know, professors at these schools are going to go usher them into those places. So we have to offer them an alternative. Uh, you have people who are immensely experienced that the left just can't compete with, and that's what we're really hoping to do. What we're hoping to build, uh, we're trying to to push the ticker to the right with mainstream outlets um, and, and trying to to build up really talented uh, conservatives in our own allied outlets so that we offer something that the left doesn't have uh, much to, to compete with. Yeah, man. I mean, that's obviously necessary. I mean, just just at face value, um, I mean, me and, and probably a lot of people who are listening are probably thinking like, oh, man, that'll never work. <laughs> yeah, like just the, the institutions themselves are too far gone. They're, they're too broken. And it's just never, you know, the conservatives will never be welcomed 
into those communities. But I mean, you guys have a plan, man. You have a plan, and and you know you have a. Uh, uh, you have your goals and you have a, a game plan. You're going to make it happen. So uh, more power to you, man. Um, well, uh, I, I do actually want to touch on that because yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of that, that is a, a common thing that I hear a lot that, uh, you know, it, they're too far gone and that we're never going to get them back. Uh, just look at what progressives in the last five years have been able to do with corporations. I mean, Coca-Cola, American institution is teaching people that they have to, to be upset that they were born white that they have to, to acknowledge that they're racist yeah. because they were born those are guerrilla tactics that they've adopted they've implanted these progressives into these hr departments into these creative design departments and they have moved the ticker far far left yeah. and a lot of people have to understand that we can do the exact same thing we just have to be willing to adopt the methods that the left has been using now i'm not suggesting that you go out and you go riot and you burn cars that's for the left right no destruction of property but be willing to to get into these places and to make your ideas known and push the institutions that you work at in a direction that you believe in you're, you're absolutely right and uh to the people thinking that it can't be done and, and these these things can't be saved it, it's true. Well, it's it's not true that the it, that institute like you you mentioned uh, the the woke corporations moving left. You know, twenty years ago, those same corporations were like the uh, the over the top um, fake patriotism. You know, because like everybody, all the corporations had to support the war in Iraq and <laughs> stuff like that. So it was all these like you know using right wing lingo and like American flags on everything and you know and support the troops and everything. And then 20 years later, it's like the exact opposite and you know, all this ridiculous woke nonsense. But it's also it, it it's true that you know institutions have only moved to the left recently, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean they've only moved to the left historically. I mean, the the in the early '80s, I mean, during the Reagan Revolution, uh, the the culture, the entire culture moved to the right in in a major way. Like, it, it culture doesn't obviously over over our. I mean, you're a lot younger than me. I'm 32, but like, <laughs> um, you know, even in my lifetime, institutions have only moved left. That doesn't mean that's the only thing they're capable of doing. It's just that that's all we've seen, and especially people, you know, college age. That's certainly all that they've seen in their adult lives is is the leftward movement of our culture. But that doesn't mean that it's never happened uh, in the inverse. Oh, I mean, uh, I think uh, speaking culturally, uh, the, you know, the jelly bean company, uh, Ronald Reagan was a big advocate for jelly beans for people who don't know. He ate them all the time to sort of quit his smoking habit. And uh, they've got like murals made out of jelly beans of him everywhere in their factories. So if you have people who are willing to engage in the culture, you can build these sort of icons that, that people adore in those industries and that they look up to and they'll advocate for those values. Uh, we have a lot of people in the right. Donald Trump was the first guy in a long time willing to engage in cultural battles. Uh, that's the sort of thing that you have to be willing to go in on. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of all these conservatives who who swear off the culture war, who say, I mean, who cares? I care about you know tax policy and tax policy alone. Okay, that's fantastic. I'm a fan of low taxes, but I'm also a fan of the country, and I'd like the country to to stay America. Right. I'd like it to, to not go in this radically pro progressive direction, you know, this pro Palestine direction that we've seen from a lot of these corporations who are for swearing everything that Israel has done, even though. Their values align a lot more with American values than than the values of Hamas. Uh, that's a different topic, but it, it's the, it sort of parallels the the stuff that we've seen uh, just more broadly 
in America, but it's just a really recent example of, of things that we've seen corporations and other institutions doing. Yeah, man, you're you're absolutely right there. Um, uh, our mutual friend Andrew Amarone sent me some polling from Pew <laughs> Research yesterday um, that shows that younger Republicans are increasingly moderate on economic issues, um, and that's that's definitely troubling to me. Um, it means in the future, if if that trend doesn't doesn't correct itself, we're looking at like European style, big government, quote unquote conservatism, which isn't really conservatism, um, in any American sense. Um, obviously that that's another thing, folks like you guys and and all your writers over at Lone Conservative, you have a heavy lift, um, going forward, on not just the cultural issues, which of course are important, and and like Breitbart said, politics are downstream from culture, mm-hmm. um. But on the policy point, you have some heavy lifting to do as well, right? So, I mean, th- this leads me to believe uh, the vast majority of young Republicans just haven't read Hayek and Mises and Friedman, these guys. They haven't read Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. So it's like, even on the, the policy point, it's not just the cultural stuff. It is the policy stuff, too. It seems like a lot of uh, younger Republicans and right-wingers have been misled as well. Yeah, uh, I can certainly attest to that in— uh what I see on, on campuses, uh, a lot of people uh, aren't really in line with uh, with us on a lot of economic issues. Uh, on places like China, I can understand that, you know, I am a big free trade guy. But in China, I think that, that you have something that you might have a little bit of leeway in saying, hey, let's, you know, a lot of sanctions. You know, let's not do much trade with China because they're, one, a great adversary and two, they're engaged in some human rights atrocities. So. Yeah, I mean, when genocide is involved, I... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah, that yeah. you definitely have uh, a moral obligation to say that you know, we can engage with, tra- uh, engage with trade there. But uh, on the other hand, you have got a lot of people who uh, are going and advocating for a sort of protectionism that I think can be dangerous. I think that uh, they have good intentions, but they might not realize that their policies uh, might not work as as well as they think it does and if they were to to read some of the you know disciples of conservative economics like you've mentioned you know hayek and friedman Sowell, basic economics by thomas Sowell is a book that every person should read it doesn't matter how old you are how young you are you should read that book because it, it gives you a crash course and everything that you need to know yeah i'd say ba- uh, basic economics is probably the best let me know if you disagree probably the best just introduction to economics oh, that you know that, that young people yeah. should read because it, it's easy to get through it you know it's it's simple easy to understand and it kind of gives you like a basic overview of, of what we're talking about yeah i i agree with that road to serfdom fantastic book yep. very long and it drags on yep. uh, it's not as interesting <laughs> of a read so basic economics is a lot shorter a lot easier to digest so so let's get uh to some of the goings on of this week, Joe. Let's start with our friend Joe Biden, the president of the United <laughs> States. You might have heard of him. Um, in the last two days, uh, just, man, what a, what a 48 hours the president's had. <laughs> On Monday, Biden called a lid. Um, I, it's just side note. It's ridiculous that this whole calling a lid thing is now just normal. Like, in, <laughs> like I'd never heard of this before the Biden campaign. Oh, and, yeah. But anyway, he, on Monday, uh, you know, in the middle of a war and a crashing economy, uh, he <laughs> Biden calls a lid at 1.30 p.m., and then yesterday, he answered a question from a reporter about the war in Israel by threatening to run the reporter over with a Ford F-150. So the, <laughs> the administration is absolutely crushing it this week. 
Uh, yeah, let's get into the lid thing first. You touched on it perfectly. Our Another mutual friend, Alex Sears, uh, during the campaign, uh, made a, a fantastic graphic. Uh, it was a calendar of all the days uh, in the, the two months leading up to the election that the Biden campaign had called a lid before three o'clock. I think it was three <laughs> o'clock Eastern time. So uh, for the people who aren't coastal elites, you know, by the time that you started lunch, uh, the Biden campaign had already called the lid and they weren't doing anything for the rest of the day. Uh, it's just a reflection of everything that's happened in the campaign. And it's happened multiple times over the past two weeks. I think this is like the third time yeah. that we've had a lid before five o'clock. Uh, that's not good. Uh, I would like to know what the uh, the administration is doing and I would like them to, to come out and tell me. I understand that, you know, he's a little bit older. He needs to get to bed a bit early, but I don't think that 130 is uh, is a bit fair to the American people who elected him. I mean, I th think about the people who voted for the guy not being able to know what he's doing uh, past past lunch. I think that it, it's more of an insult to them than it is for the rest of the country. Uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and it's it's also funny how Biden and he's been doing this for years. Uh, I mean, he did it all over the campaign with the the look fat, you know. Uh, <laughs> he challenged that old guy to a to a push, a up, push contest. up contest. Yeah, he yeah. threatened to beat up some guy. Like he, the how he reacts to being asked simple questions that any politician at any level should be prepared to answer. Like, I don't know, the United States' closest ally is at war, and you're partially to blame. Uh, what are we gonna do? About, <laughs> what are we gonna do here? <laughs> Like, I think half of it is just his mental impairment. I mean, folks with—I'm no doctor, but look, man, folks with dementia get angry uh, when they're challenged or when they're flustered. They they kind of lash out. Um, that's that's just a fact. Uh, and it's also probably even the the bigger factor here is just the entitlement that these leftist <laughs> politicians live with. I mean, they they just they're so used to being protected by the press that any time they're challenged. At all, on any level, they react with this ridiculous self-righteousness. How dare you oh, challenge yeah. me? You're the press. <laughs> you're supposed to work for me. You're supposed to be my spokesman. So it's just it's just half Alzheimer's and half just self-entitlement. It's ridiculous that he gets away with this nonsense. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, he did say I'm teasing, right? I'll give him that. It oh, was yeah. a no, joke. Of course, of course. And I would have, if, you know, people in the Trump administration had it acted like he said that jokingly all the times that he made jokes about the press, all the times that he, you know, gave them legitimate criticism. I'll get more into that in a second. But if that was covered the same way, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. I would have even thought it was funny. I would have enjoyed it. But the fact that they just laugh and act like, oh, you know, it's all sunshine and roses whenever uh, Joe Biden does it. But if Donald Trump did it, we would have Jim Acosta on, on TV all day claiming how he was, you know, hurt by it, how he's crying. He has PTSD that the president would dare suggest to run somebody over with a vehicle. Uh, that we would have Anderson Cooper bringing on, like, small children and saying, how how can you look up to this president, knowing that he's threatening to look over, running, <laughs> to, to run over journalists? Yeah. You know, yeah. you're supposed to, to wake up and be inspired by this yeah. guy. And he's threatening to kill people. Mm -hmm. But of course, we have don't have any of that. that Stephen Miller pointed out, out. Yeah, Stephen Miller pointed out on Twitter that Jake Tapper would have, you know, slowly removed his glasses in a concerned matter while looking directly at the camera to do a monologue about how this is threatening the free press in, in America and, and all this. And you know, to touch on 
to Jake Tapper specifically. A lot of conservatives say, hey, Jake Tapper's a good guy. No. Jake Tapper's not your friend. No. Jake Tapper will criticize the Biden administration one time this year, and conservatives everywhere will rise up and say, look at this guy. He's a, a paragon of virtue. He's willing to be a objective journalist and, and call people out when they're wrong. No, he's not. I mean, look at everything that he's done in the past and, and really tell me that he's willing to cover people fairly. He's not. That's the real issue here is that people take a four-year vacation anytime a, a Democrat's elected, anytime that Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar or AOC say something that sounds pretty anti-Semitic about, like you said, one of our greatest allies, they're Manu Raju is not going out there and asking House Democrats how they feel about them saying that. But if you know if Kevin McCarthy or if you know Dan Crenshaw, one of sort of the, the squad, you know, on the right sort of guy. If you remember, he was sort of this guy that we were propping up as uh, as opposition to AOC, being this young guy who was a, sort of a you know firebrandish. I think he was a little disappointing on some of his policy stuff, but you know, that's for a different time. Uh, he, if he said something like that about one of our allies, uh, that would be front page news in every leftist outlet in America. They would be constantly talking about this. Of course. They wouldn't give it up. They would ask every single Republican about it. And then you would have sort of the, the left wing Republicans going on to MSNBC, going on to CNN, talking about how they're upset with how the, the party's been corrupted by you know, <laughs> Trump or yeah. corrupted by who else that yeah. we have uh, become people who are, are willing to sort of accept this sort of thing. But no, we don't see anything like that whenever the left says something because they're in bed with the, the media. They don't care what the uh, the left does. They care about covering Republicans. And you'll see this whenever we, we look at something that a, a Democrat does wrong, that the headlines always Republicans sees, Republicans are pounced, Republicans are outraged that you know they would do something like this. The uh, if you go read playbook, Politico's playbook, that's what the uh, the stories always are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fascinating from Newsbusters this morning. Our friends over at Newsbusters, the corporate media in the past week has spent six times as much airtime talking about Liz Cheney than discussing the crisis at the southern border, the worst inflation since 2008, and the jobs and unemployment numbers combined. Right. The, the quote unquote GOP civil war is still the focus from the press. And and it, I, I just don't I, I I can't believe that Republicans still get on on CNN and MSNBC and argue about this stuff. I mean, I get why Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and, and those people, oh, they, yeah. they, they want fame and, and money and power and stuff. But like the normal Republicans, like I, why would you go on Jake Tapper and indulge them in this <laughs> nonsense? I mean, we're we're we're. We're catapulting towards 1970s style inflation. Okay, if I hear one more Republican entertain this civil war premise from the cor corporate press, I'm going to lose it. I mean, we we need we have way bigger fish to fry here, um, and and the the corporate press is just trying to distract their audiences from the the catastrophic first four months of the Biden administration. Republicans need to stop indulging the Jake Tappers of the world when they just want to talk about Liz. Nobody cares about Liz Cheney. Nobody cares about a random member of Congress from a from a state where nobody lives. I'm sorry. I love Wyoming. I've got a lot of friends out there. Nobody cares what, what Wyoming's congressman says about anything. Anything. 
Not even if you live in Wyoming. <laughs> like why? Like why are why are Republicans going on Jake Tapper show to debate the GOP civil war and Liz Cheney and January sixth and all this? Like I know he he says it tongue in cheek sometimes, but Jesse Kelly on, on Twitter is always talking about how Republicans need to stop playing, you know, the 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 DNC's game on their rules on their field with their refs. <laughs> you know what I mean? And once again, Republicans are doing that same. They're making that same mistake again. It's infuriating. Well. I think that it's uh, symptomatic of a bigger problem on the right that uh, we don't want to acknowledge that the media aren't our friends. We want to sort of play into this idea that the media can be objective and that they do have America's best interests at heart. No, Uh, no, they don't. They've got progressive best interests at heart. They don't care about uh, portraying the facts fairly. They don't care about, uh, you know, building uh, a narrative that doesn't support their allies in Congress. Uh, you know, speaking on Liz Cheney, I guarantee you, I live in a 20 plus STEM district. So if, uh, you know, I asked my neighbors, they would probably all say that they do know Liz Cheney. But if I went out into, you know, actual America, Texas, and I asked people, oh, do you know who Liz Cheney is? Do you know what a House uh, congress, uh, conference chair does? Uh, none of them would probably tell me that because guess what? It doesn't impact them. Uh, it's a fundraising position that really nobody cares about. This is not a big deal that she's been removed from leadership, uh, but the media has turned it into a big deal. Nobody outside the Beltway cares about any of the stuff that they're talking about, but they're trying to make it into a bigger deal than it is. And a lot of people on the left or people on the right play into that on both sides of the aisle, on the pro-Liz Cheney faction and on the anti-Liz Cheney faction. They're sort of helping build this narrative that uh, there's a GOP civil war. Nobody cares about it. Nobody cares about what she's done, what she might have said. It's it's a non-factor for voters. It's a non-factor for anybody who's not taking politics either as a job or as a hobby to an extent that it's sort of engrossed your entire life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. those are the only people who who really care about this issue. Oh, absolutely, and I, I like that you said, uh, you know, you focused on Jake Tapper specifically, saying that, that Jake Tapper is not your friend, you know, because we hear you know mainstream conservatives all the time saying, oh, you know, there are some good people, there's some good people in the corporate press. Jake Tapper, he does, he tries his best, you know. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's like when everybody on the right was praising Barry Weiss after she was fired. Um, by the New York Times last year, I, I I was like, man, have you ever read anything she's written? <laughs> I mean, she she's written and, and talked about openly how she believes that um, the federal government should uh, ban and confiscate all all AR-15s. You know, at gunpoint, remove all AR-15s from people. It's like, well, well, you can't be a good person and hold that position. Like, I own an <laughs> AR-15 and I am not going to give it up. So what? What Bear Weiss wants is for agent armed agents of the state to either kill me or send overwhelming force to my house to kidnap me at gunpoint, remove me from my family, and lock me in a federal prison for 10 years because that is the maximum penalty on uh, owning an illegal firearm is 10 years. And me being a, a, a right-wing political commentator, I'm sure they'd want to throw the book at me if that were out of the lock, <laughs> right? So, what, so, like, no, I don't believe somebody who wants to send stormtroopers to my house in the middle of the night, kidnap me from my home at gunpoint and lock me in a steel cage for 10 years. No, I don't think that person's a good person. You know what I mean? So it's like, it. I, I get it. Sometimes Jake Tapper will say things that aren't incredibly evil. 
on occasion. Like, he'll take a break <laughs> from being evil and say things that aren't evil. But no, like, people that hold these, like, ridiculous, left-wing, oppressive, authoritarian, deeply evil, toxic positions, they are just not your friend. No, I, I agree 100% in that. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, come to her defense in a bit and say that, you know, I disagree wholeheartedly with everything that she believes in. Yeah, maybe uh, she hasn't thought it through, right? The, the, the consequences of policies. Oh, policies I, I'm not that. saying that what she believes isn't, you know, immensely evil. But what I will say is that that doesn't mean that, you know, she should be forced out of her job at, at the New York Times because people think that she's too far to the right. I think that that's right. really toxic for for the the discourse in the country. If someone like Barry Weiss can't even spout her ideas off in uh, in the New York Times, we are are heading in a, a direction that has a lot of consequences for for the country if we keep going this way, if we segregate ourselves and our ideas uh, from each other completely. Uh, you know, I think the CNN leaning hard into this sort of progressive role is really dangerous for us because they were seen in, in the past, even if they didn't deserve it, as sort of this objective news source, as sort of the, the middle line. Uh, if we don't have that, if we don't have groups that we can go to and say, hey, this is what both sides believe, uh, and we've building up this sort of tribalism, then there's going to be more of a divide in the country that's already pretty dangerous. And a lot of people have suggested a sort of national divorce. I don't think that that is the direction that we're going completely. But if we, if it continues to go in this direction, uh, that's certainly a possibility. So I, I think the sort of what we're doing at Loco of trying to get people into mainstream outlets to, to sort of push the ticker to the right isn't just good for the conservative movement. It's good for the country. It's good for the health of the country, especially. And telling people that people don't just believe these sort of progressive ideas, they don't just believe in these hardline Marxist-Leninist ideas, that there are people with conservative ideas out there that, sure, the press might seem like the, it's all progressive, but that's not the, the total direction of the country. Uh, I think that that's sort of what we have to, to build up if the country is going to continue the way that we want it to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you're going to create a lot of talent. Over at Lauren Conserve, a lot of talented writers, and and either these mainstream outlets are going to realize the talent that they have in front of them, and 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 employ these people, or I mean, you're, that talent's not going to go away. You're going to have a lot of talented young people that can go start their own thing, you know, if all else fails. So it's mm -hmm. it's a win-win regardless of of the reaction from from the mainstream media. Oh, uh, you know, I I certainly agree. Being a uh the president of it but uh, i i'm glad that the other people are starting to get the, uh, the idea of it too we've had a lot of support from people on the right uh trying to help build this organization and uh, uh i'm really grateful for it uh, you know i want to get a bit into to my personal story uh, sure. and talk about how i got into politics uh i wasn't even a, a political science major at the time but i did have a desire to get into politics i had no connections in politics i didn't know anybody and uh i had no writing experience at all and I joined Lone Conservative, and quickly I was able to get my first job in, in politics, working at a, a small media company in Austin. And uh, I was able to get my, my first job in Washington, D.C. after that, working at Newsbusters. Uh, I was an intern there. And I slept on the floor of a one-bedroom apartment with three other roommates. One of them was a, 
is a guest that you have on quite frequently. Greg Price was one of my roommates. Uh, I slept on the floor of that apartment. It wasn't the most comfortable, but it was a start. And I had that start to thank for, long conservative to thank for that start. And if there wasn't an organization like this, I wouldn't even have a career in this field. So I think that it's fantastic that there's an organization that is trying to get people who are like me, who don't have that many connections in, in the political world or who don't have that much experience, a start in the movement so that we can you know, build this in a way that facilitates growth for, for everybody. Because uh, there's a lot of people who you know, want to do good for the country, they wanna do good for the movement, but they don't know where to start. And I think that we're building an organization that helps people get to that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and more young people need to get involved. It seems like a lot of um, college-age Republicans, they either just go along to get along with the, the leftist narratives or they just try to ignore it. <laughs> you know, they don't engage. They don't engage in the culture. They don't engage um, with, with their left-wing classmates at all. So where, where, can, young, um, uh, where can young people with a conservative bent uh, get involved? How, how can they get involved and, and get active with Lone Conservative? Uh, well, I'll give you a couple of other organizations besides my own, but you can just go to loanconservative.com if you want to get into writing, if you want to uh, you know, read some of the stuff that conservatives are writing about. Uh, two other organizations that I would suggest that are doing a lot of great work are YAF, uh, Young America's Foundation, is probably the best philosophical training organization in the country. Uh, if you want to learn about conservative politics. And if you want to do conservative politics well, they're the place to go. And the Leadership Institute is another place, a uh, great place to get trained in campaigning and in all other different aspects of, uh, of being a conservative activist. So if you're a young conservative, you don't know what to do, those are the places that you should look for. And I will be happy to, uh, to give you a place to write. And I'll be happy to uh, give you, you know, a greater role if that's what you seek. Uh, within Lone Conservative. I'm really all about career development and uh, building the movement. So uh, if we have any listeners that are, are wanting to join and wanting to get a start, you know, feel free to fill out an application and we'll uh, we'll get you on board. Absolutely, man. I definitely encourage young people to uh, to do just that. Joe, where can everybody uh, also follow you online and, and read your stuff and keep in touch with you? So uh, I'll be doing a bit of op-ed and uh, reporting at Consumers Research this summer. So if you guys are wanting to read about consumer policy, you can go read my stuff there. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Joe Chalfont is my uh, my Twitter handle. And at Joe Chalfont 17 on Instagram is where you can find me there. Everybody check out Lone Conservative. They are great. Everybody follow Joe. He is great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Thank you.